our scripture passage this morning. You can go ahead and stay standing. Um, and this morning we have, we've been reading this um, passage of scripture for the last few weeks, and we will read a bunch of the underlined stuff together today. So just keep your eyes on the screen. Um, we are in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13 this morning. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. We're glad you're here. Uh, my name's Casey, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new this week or haven't been with us for very long, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer uh, for the last uh, few weeks, and it's just been a, it's been a fun sort of adventure to get into um, some of perhaps the most famous words ever spoken, probably the most familiar words ever spoken, the words that are spoken more often than any other words in the history of all humanity. And as, as we've been doing that, it's become apparent to me that there are some strange things about prayer. One of the things that's strange to me about prayer is that everybody does it. Um, I was reading the New York Times last week. I get the New York Times on Sunday. And I read a piece in there that was written by an atheist who was just admitting that he prays. And he's not sure why he does it. Um, but he did some research and was studying and found that one in five atheists in the United States pray regularly. You don't, they don't know why they do it. They just do it. And Christians pray. Other religions pray. A lot of people pray. Prayer is a, is a big deal. It's built into us. It's, we're hardwired for prayer. And that's kind of strange if you think about it. On the other hand, everybody who's praying, nobody really finds it easy. Praying is a difficult thing. Prayer can be a really hard thing. I like the honesty of one pastor who said, there's nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. You think about that. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Uh, some, some brothers were sitting in a my driveway a few weeks ago from Trinity, we were just chatting about books that had changed our life, and one book that came up was a book called A Praying Life by a guy named Paul Miller. And I still remember when I read the book. I was in Kansas City at a coffee shop. I could take you to the chair I was sitting in, and I finished the book in one sitting. It was just amazing to me. But in that book, he, he lists some of the reasons why prayer is so hard. He says, the minute we pray, all kinds of other things crowd our minds. And see if you can relate to any of these things he lists. He says, we're confused about what even makes a good prayer. 
What makes a good prayer? Prayer can quickly become dull. You, you make a list and then you set out and you start praying, but you get bored halfway through it. Or you're used to being busy, so you take time to pray and then it seems so hard because you're distracted by all the things you need to get done. Or you pray and nothing seems to happen. So if our prayers are answered, uh, we wonder if it would have just happened anyway. Anybody ever felt like that? Well, that would have just happened anyway. And if they're not answered, we go, why pray at all? And sometimes when we pray, nobody responds. It's just silence. It's like praying to a wall. He says, how do you even know that God is listening? And I don't know anyone who can't relate to at least one of those. I can relate to almost all of those. I have a strong desire to pray, and it's incredibly hard. Anybody? Yeah. There's something inside us that compels us to pray, but at the same time, we don't know how to do it. It's simultaneously the most ordinary thing you could ever do as a Christian and the hardest thing you could ever do as a Christian. And then to top it all off, look around. Everybody's wearing masks. The world is broken. It's really difficult place to live in. And we're reminded of it every time we step outside and we see the numbers go up and people dying of a virus that nobody really knows what to do about. Nobody really knows. And so everybody has this desire that this world is broken. Something needs to change. We want someone to fix it. Uh, I have this strong desire at the same time to pray. And at the same time, it's really hard and really difficult. And I don't know if it works. And that's kind of where we're at this morning. And that's where we've been as the Lord's Prayer has brought us to this place. We all want the world to be a better place, but we feel powerless, right? We're wearing masks to church, to everywhere. And not just masks. There's poverty in the world. There's poverty in our own country. There's racism in our own country. There's gun violence in our own country. There's a lack of educational resources. There's cancer. There's abortion. There's obviously coronavirus, but human trafficking, like the Amazon rainforest is just getting bulldozed like crazy. What can you do about it? Global warming, like I'm not trying to bring you down. This is just the reality of the world we live in. And that's part of the reason why people pray. We know we need to keep trying and, and we know we can't give up, but at the same time, you feel really powerless to affect the type of change you want to see in the world. So where does that leave us? That's not like the best introduction for a sermon. That's not like the pick-me-up. But where does that leave us? And how can we bring about the change that we want to see? And that's a question for us this morning as we consider what it means to pray on earth as it is in heaven. About a year ago, Jeremy and I asked ourselves this question, and we were dreaming about what we thought 2020 was going to look like, and we were way off. 2020, anybody else's 2020 dreams just like dumpster fire? Uh, but... but we kept coming back to the desire to spend the entire year as a church focusing on seeking, pursuing what we called uh, renewal-seeking prayer. And we didn't know it at the time, but we were going to need that more than ever, um, more than we even realized it. Because we had a desire, and, and all of us who are members of the church have a desire to see God bring renewal to all things. And so we wanted to really lean into that as a church, and that's actually where the idea of the sermon series came from, is Jesus gave his disciples a prayer. And he said, this prayer can affect change. This prayer will affect change. And so if you're asking this morning, what can I do? 
What can my church do to bring about the type of change that I want to see in the world? What can Trinity do as a group of people to bless the world? It seems clear, from the Gospels anyway, and from the Lord's Prayer, what we need to do. Even though it seems impossible, what Jesus is calling us to do, even in the midst of a pandemic, is to pray. It seems wild to imagine, it seems cliche, but the answer begins and ends with prayer. And the question, even though it's huge, what can be done? The answer is very simple. And again, it's pray. To a world that's all about taking action and getting immediate results, you know, you want to see wins. Prayer seems like a cop-out. It seems easy. It seems cliche. And if I'm being completely honest, there are times that I feel that way too. Like prayer is not easy. Just because you're a pastor, prayer is not easy. It's, it's very difficult. It's, it's very easy to find other things that, that feel the, fill the void and kind of bring more satisfaction, if I'm honest, than, than praying. But every time I'm reminded of that, I'm drawn back to the person of Jesus, which is what this church is all about. And we have the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus to correct us. Amen? That's a good thing. And he corrects us in love and he refocuses us. The, the life of Jesus. Jesus was only 33 years old when he died. And he was in the public eye for only, 30, or for only three years, yet he changed the world more than anyone ever. He's Jesus. And in, and in his life, prayer is actually was the agent of change. That was actually what was most crucial for Jesus. A famous pastor who's, who's passed away now, but he said this, and I thought it was very good. He said, for me, prayer is preparation for the battle. Anybody else view prayer as preparation for the battle? He said, for Jesus... Prayer was the battle itself. Virtually anybody who's studied Jesus' life will know that Jesus spent time in prayer as a hallmark of what he was to be about. In the morning, he was there. As his disciples were sleeping, he was praying. When they went to bed at night, he went and prayed. He prayed all throughout the day, and that's one of the reasons I think changing the world begins with praying, because we're all about Jesus, and Jesus was all about prayer. And the other thing is, as we're going through this series— Jesus wasn't just about it in his life. He actually taught his disciples how to pray. He didn't just say, talk to God however, whatever way you want, although that's fine. He gave us a structure, and he gave us a model, and he tells us to pray this way. If you want to bring about the type of change that I want to bring about in the world, say this. He says, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To see this world change, Jesus says, put a prayer for God's reign at the top of the list. For a prayer for what God wants to have happen in the world, his rule and reign over every sphere of it, put it at the top because it was at the top of Jesus' list. And that's how Jesus teaches us to pray. The only way that the world will see significant and permanent, lasting change is for God's reign to be established here on earth. And so we pray for it. Jesus says, you've got to pray for it. Father, let your kingdom come, your will be done, in Colombia as it is in heaven. In my co-worker's life, as it is in heaven. On my little league team, as it is in heaven. In my school district, as it is in heaven. In the foster care system, as it is in heaven. Because when we pray, like, you know, I pray that God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It seems so big. 
seems so vague and so out there. And Jesus is saying, no, where you are is where I want heaven to break into. And this is a Jesus-sized prayer. It's not a puny prayer. It's a prayer that requires sacrifice on our part. But it's what Jesus prayed for, and he's inviting us to pray for that. And because of Christ, good news is that you have the authority and the privilege to go to the Father who's the only one that can make it happen. That's a good thing. That's why we begin our Father in heaven. There's a pastor named Louis Giglio, and I've looked up to him for a long time. He's been around a long time. He did college ministry for years. And he says it this way. He says, if you could see what was happening in the unseen realm while you prayed, you would never stop praying. If you actually could see what God was doing in the things that are unseen, it would, you would never stop praying because God moves heaven and earth when you pray. He loves to answer Jesus-sized prayers. And he longs to see things established on earth as they are in heaven. And that's why we pray. We pray every week together. We pray that God would bring heaven to earth through the work of the church here by the power of the Spirit for the glory of Jesus. And I'm speaking for myself here, um, and, and maybe you're like me. I'm not pointing fingers, but I think part of the problem, part of my problem with prayer is that I often want to make the kingdom come in my own strength. I consider myself a fixer or a doer. I don't always fix the things I set out to fix, but when I see a problem, I want to jump in and, and kind of do it myself. I found myself saying something the other day, even though it was in jest, but like, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. That's, a sort, that's, a, that's sort of my attitude a lot of times when it comes to uh, seeing God's kingdom come here on earth. I mean, it's obviously my attitude towards everything else as well. Um, but when I think about God's kingdom coming to earth, and I think that's, a diff that's why I have a difficult time in praying as I try and take care of things myself. It's tempting for me to strategize and to program and to put things in place. But Jesus teaches us that there's something that prayer can do that no strategy could ever do that no program will ever be able to do. And that's why Jesus taught to pray the way he did, to pray the phrase on earth as it is in heaven. He's the only one who's ever been there. And so we rely, we depend, we're desperate for him. And so I just want to give us real quick this morning three reasons why I think we should pray on earth as it is in heaven and then give you some tips maybe on how to do that. The first thing, we pray on earth as it is in heaven so that we can learn what God wants. Think about that. We pray on earth as it is in heaven so that we can actually learn what God wants. I love Brussels sprouts. Anybody else love Brussels sprouts? Amen. Raise your hand. It's fine. It's a safe place. I didn't used to, but I do now. I love them just a little bit overcooked, a little bit of, little bit of a crust on it, a lot of butter, obviously. A lot of butter. But I realize Brussels sprouts aren't a popular vegetable because of the way they smell for some reason or, you know, it bothers people. Uh, but I have a daughter who's really into eating veggies. And she, for some reason, she didn't get it from me. I didn't like it when I was a kid. But I can tell how happy it makes her uh, when we're cooking veggies. And she smells Brussels sprouts and she gets excited. It gives me great pleasure to hear her say, please, can I have some Brussels sprouts? Like, you're, you're under 10 years old and you're wanting Brussels sprouts? That makes me very happy as a father. When I cook them, I, she gets excited, and it gives parents pleasure when their kids want what they want. And so when we pray, 
Let your kingdom come, Lord. Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're essentially saying, Dad, I want what you want. I want what you want. And it brings God pleasure when we desire his kingdom to come, to break into our lives. Prayer teaches us to long for this more, to make this part of what we're asking God to do. We're agreeing with God with what God wants, and we're asking him to make it happen. He's a good father. He wants us to ask. So that's the first thing. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we can learn what God wants. God wants the peace and the justice and the authority and the mercy and the compassion that is being experienced in heaven, the worship, the service that's being experienced in heaven to be experienced here on earth. And so when we pray that, we're praying God's desires for our own space and time. The second thing was when we, when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we can begin to acquire a taste for the things of God. So not only do we want what he wants, but we want more. We want to acquire even more of a taste for the things of God. Our, our kids' lessons over the last few weeks, the ones that, especially that we've done up here that have been so good, uh, have been about Joshua leading the people of God into the promised land. It's really a familiar story in the Old Testament. Most of you may have heard it at some point in your life, but Moses is gone. The people of God are wandering around in the wilderness. They do so for 40 years. Joshua takes over, and he leads them to the land of Canaan, which is the promised land that God had promised his people, the land flowing with milk and honey. You can imagine being in a wilderness and then coming on this amazing promised land, this sort of oasis in the desert. And what I had never seen before was, was that Israel actually spent a year on the border of the promised land before they went in. I'd never seen that before. I'd never really noticed it. I'd never really taken time to understand. But they spend a year in the wilderness, literally on the border of the promised land. You've been wandering for 40 years, and you get to the border, and you don't immediately go across. Like, that's a big deal. You should ask why. And so here's what happens. Joshua chapter 5, verse 12 says this. It says, The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year... They ate the produce from Canaan. And you might read that and go, okay, so what? Big deal. Here, here's the deal. Manna had been given by God to sustain the Israelites in the wilderness, but here they are literally on the border of the promised land, and they're eating the produce of the promised land, but they're not in it. Now, why is that? They're eating, they're tasting, they're getting a glimpse of what is to come in their future. So before they even get into the promised land, they're enjoying the fruit of the promised land. In the present, they're enjoying the fruit of their future. And you ask, why would God do this? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he just let them in and let them have their fill right away? And there's lots of answers you can give for that, but I think one of them needs to be because there are certain tastes that are acquired. Tastes you wouldn't know to appreciate if you hadn't developed a palate for them. You can't go from chicken nuggies to caviar overnight, right? I grew up with a dad who drank Mountain Dew and ate Twinkies all the time. He wasn't the guy to take me into like the realm of Pinot Noirs, okay? He was a Mountain Dew and Nuggies guy and I love him to death, but you have to be ushered into certain tastes, some of the finer things. And once you've been ushered into it, you're not gonna be so tempted to go back. It'll be harder to forget 
the wilderness after you've tasted the produce of Canaan. So in praying, let your kingdom come on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven. God's giving you little taste of his future kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and he's given it to you here and now. And if you're paying attention, you'll notice just how God is often bringing the sweetness of heaven into your life right here and now. The sweetness of fellowship that you experience with friends, Maybe it's the fellowship that you experience over a hard time, maybe by a hospital bed or in a moment of suffering. There's, there's people around you. There's moments where the presence of God is so just palpable and thick and powerful, and it's obviously at work. God wants you to acquire a taste for the things of heaven so that you don't find yourself distracted and prayerless. He wants to give you those little tastes of heaven so that you don't find yourself distracted and prayerless. He wants you to see the world the way he sees it. He wants you to taste and see that he's really as good as you hope he is. You hope God is good. And he wants you to know that he is. And he ushers you in little by little. He gives the Israelites the fruit of their future so that they would long for more. And it's the same with us. The more we recognize these little moments of on earth as it is in heaven, the more you're going to be compelled to pray to God and ask him for more. So that's number two. Last one. We pray on earth as it is in heaven because God actually answers that prayer. God actually answers that prayer. We pray that prayer. Jesus taught us to pray that prayer because God actually answers it. We know that God's going to establish his kingdom and one day it's going to come and he's going to wipe away every tear. But God answers this prayer even now among us. The way that we will see God's reign spread in Colombia is going to be through prayer, asking God, do it here. Lord, do it now. Let us experience this now. Use us as your vessels to build your kingdom now. And God answers that prayer because he wants you and I to experience the reality of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. God answers it. That's why we pray it. So how can we bring about this prayer of on earth as it is in heaven in our daily lives as followers of Jesus. That's a big concept. Let's get granular. There's lots of ways that you could do this. And this is the fun thing about prayer. We talked about prayer being hard. Prayer can be really fun too. Praying to your father in heaven uh, because he is your father in heaven. You don't have to earn his acceptance or love. There's a lot of freedom here. Tons of freedom. It's a chance to use your God-given creativity and your personality and the way God created you to talk to him and listen for his voice and ask him to bring that reality of that heaven on earth life into your life and those you love and in your city. There's lots of freedom and we can learn from one another on how to do this and we should spur one another on in how to do this. I'm going to give you a few ways, ways that I know just from our own congregation. One of the ways I do this is I have a prayer journal Sometimes it takes the form of a journal. Sometimes it takes the form of uh, bookmarks that I keep in a book or three by five cards. But literally just write someone's name on it, someone in our church, someone in my family. And I think of that person and what I want for that person. Uh, What does God want for that person? And I find a scripture, a passage um, of scripture, and I write it there with their name so that when I see it, I can pray that prayer, um, pray that passage of scripture for that person, that it would be a reality. One that I had, I had someone's name written on it who I love, and then I had First John chapter 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. 
And so I take that person's name and I pray that this person would be kept from temptation, that they would not love the world or the things of the world, but instead would love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It takes 20 seconds. Flip to the next card if you've got it. If the light turns green, you need to put them down and go. You can do that on the road. You can pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven in a way that is conducive for your already hectic life. But what it will do is transform your life into a prayerful life. One of the ways Pastor Jeremy does this is uh, he takes large chunks of time. So I'm told, I'm not awake when he does this. Uh, early in the morning to, to pray for our members, to pray for our church. I'm so thankful you do this. Um, and, and you should be thankful that you do this. You can wake up knowing that you have a pastor in this church who's, by the time you're awake, has probably already prayed for you um, and gone to the Lord on your behalf and prayed that the Lord would bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. That's a tremendous gift. And we can do that for one another. We can do that for the folks that we love in our lives as well. Jessica and I, my wife, we have a friend back in Kansas who spends a significant amount of time, an inordinate amount of time, a disgusting amount of time exercising because she's a runner. Some of you are runners. And for most of us, any amount of time running is a disgusting amount of time. This woman runs miles and miles and miles a day. You see her all, literally would see her multiple times a day. I would take naps and wake up and she'd still be running. Um, uh, which is great, by the way, if that's your thing. That's wonderful. Um, but before every run, she'd get out a small piece of paper and write a name on it and a scripture on it. And she would tape it to her wrist. And so that when she ran, she could be thinking about this person and praying for this person as she ran. Uh, that's just one way. It's a simple way for her to pray heaven to earth during the ordinary things of life. She was a mom. She lived a busy life. She had a job. Um, that was her way to do it. Get creative. Think of ways you, you could be praying for one another. Interceding is the biblical fancy word for it. Stepping in the gap for one another. Those that are in your life that you know uh, could use a little more heaven on earth. Um, sort of experience. We all have times on a daily basis that we can transform our little space that God's given us into moments of praying, heaven come to earth. Wouldn't it be great if we just left all of us this morning just a little more excited than when we came in, maybe even just aware or maybe a lot more excited about the opportunity and the possibility of interceding for folks in our lives? That their lives would mo look more like heaven on earth than when they woke up this morning? Wouldn't it be incredible to get together with other people that you had mutual friends with and intercede with them on behalf of others? Maybe behalf of organizations or, or institutions that you both mutually cared for? Doesn't that sound exciting to you? I hope it does. It's exciting to me to imagine what God might do if we just come before him and ask. That's it. You could sum up the entire teaching of Jesus in the Gospels on prayer with one word, and that's just ask. Our Father in heaven is eager to answer Jesus-sized prayer. So let's be people who are eager to bring it before him. A few years ago, uh, we lived in um, England, and I was in a conference in Wales. It was a pastor's conference, and uh, it was mainly pastors and leaders from the UK, but one of the speakers happened to be from South Korea. And I remember, just like I was 
in that coffee shop where I read that book where I was sitting in the sanctuary in Wales when this guy got up to speak because he was so different than everybody else. He just stood out like a sore thumb. He didn't have very good English. Um, and that's not why I'll never forget what he said. I'll, but he, he was really straining through um, trying to get his message across to people who didn't speak Korean. Um, and he was preaching with such power and sort of like such precision and sincerity uh, that it got my attention. And he shared with us that his grandfather had told him a story um, that had taken place 110 years earlier. He was an old man already at the time he was preaching. His grandfather obviously was passed away and, and long gone. But his grandfather was telling him a story about when a group of missionaries who had come from Wales in the early 1900s, there was a, uh, a Welsh revival, pretty popular, big deal. Uh, revival that had happened in Wales, and these uh, missionaries set out for South Korea, uh, a place where there was really no gospel witness at the time. And they made it to the shore, and the men of Wales got out, and they started securing shelter and building lodging and gathering supplies, and and the women were unloading the belongings of the ship and kind of bringing them uh, into the huts and tending to the children. And it wasn't long after this uh, that the speaker's grandfather told him that the natives determined pretty quickly, these people aren't like us, um, and they didn't really know that they were missionaries, um, but they determined they were unsafe. And so you could see where this, this was going. And, and it wasn't long before they were all murdered. So the natives just came in, cleaned house. They didn't really ask any questions, got rid of the missionaries. Pretty sad ordeal. But after they killed them, they began going through their belongings, and they noticed on the walls of these huts that were just days old um, where they lived, there were pages and pages and pages of words written in English. Uh, and what these Welsh missionaries had done is they had wallpapered their homes with the pages of the Bibles they had brought with them from Wales. They had put them all over the inside of their huts because they knew there's a good chance we're going to die. There's a good chance that we may not make it home. There's a good chance we may put in all this effort, blood, sweat, and tears to get here and never really have a chance to share with our own mouths the word of God, the gospel. But we want to leave behind the word of God for these people in whatever way we can so that they would have a chance to hear God's voice. And as these Koreans started to go through all of their belongings, they found stacks and stacks and stacks, crates, had to be tremendously heavy 120 years ago, of journals filled with years of prayers for the people of South Korea. They didn't even know their names. These Welsh missionaries had been praying for years, working, striving, sweating, earning money, raising money, sacrificing, and praying that God would bring his kingdom to South Korea as it was in heaven. And even though they didn't live to see it, their labor, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, was not in vain. Because through their witness over time, the village came to Christ and its leaders began to teach the way of Jesus. And this gentleman's grandfather was one of the original guys that had converted to Christianity because of what he read on the walls of those huts. And the speaker is the recipient of the faith of his grandfather who was the recipient of the work of God, of people who went before him, who prayed, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Use us in whatever way we can. Remember, we pray these prayers because God answers these kinds of prayers. God hears the on earth as it is in heaven prayers and he delights in them and he answers them because he longs to bring life everywhere there is death. 
On the night he was betrayed, Jesus actually taught his disciples a lot about prayer. You can go read um, John chapter 15, 16, 17 all the way through, and you'll see six times Jesus tells his disciples, on the night he's betrayed, Jesus knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be crucified. And what he wants his disciples to know is that six times he says, whatever you ask for in my name, my Father will give to you. John chapter 16, verse 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask and I will give it to you. Jesus is is reminding his disciples over and over again to ask because Jesus' greatest concern is that our failure and reluctance to ask is gonna keep us distant from God. And Jesus' hope for you and for me and for Trinity and indeed for the entire earth is that we would not stay distant, but that we would draw near to the heart of God, the God who loves to give good gifts to his children. And so on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he took some wine. And this is what we do every week here. We're reminded that Jesus came from heaven to earth to bring us close to God. Though we were distant, he brought us near. Let me pray.